Thank you for that. If you turn your Bibles, please, to the, uh, the book of Luke. The book of Luke. I just almost made a paper airplane out of this thing. I better put this thing before I get in trouble. Uh, if you turn your, book, uh, your Bible to the book of Luke, chapter 8, we'll uh, be looking at verses, uh, just three verses this morning, one through three. And uh, I'm sure that uh, all of y'all are all in the know and I'm pretty sure all of y'all have already got your tickets and ready to go. But you know the hottest thing that's going on this year is the Taylor Swift World Tour. And I know y'all are all uh, excited about it. And uh, as a matter of fact, there's a lot of people that are excited about it. And I remember uh, they had some news coverage when uh, she was performing there uh, in Nashville. And she was performing there at the football stadium for, uh, for two nights. And one of those nights were actually in the rain. And so you're talking about over 100,000 people that got to see this show. And I don't know if you've ever been to Nashville there by the stadium. There's this pedestrian bridge that goes across from there downtown, and it goes across the river to where the stadium was. And uh, you can just see this, this camera shot, this footage of just like just tens and tens and tens of thousands of white women coming over this bridge to come invade Nashville because they were just so excited about Taylor Swift. And, uh, and uh, I saw an article this week where they uh, estimate that the economic impact, the economic gain from the Taylor Swift U.S. tour could be around $5 billion dollars. So all of you husbands are looking around, you're looking at your bank statement going, where'd my $5 billion go? Well, it went to Taylor Swift, and then she's got it. She's not giving it back to you. But you always notice on this tour, and they always talk about the main artist, and they talk about the show that she puts on. But in order to make that show happen, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of people that are part of the lighting crew, that are part of the staging crew, that are part of the arrangement crew, that are the back seats, the back seat people working that try to make that happen. And a lot of times these people, they don't give enough recognition to. They seem to be lost in the crowd as nameless people. But rest assured, if it wasn't for them, that show wouldn't be happening. And this morning, I want us to kind of think about that because Luke wants to draw our attention. He wants us to see uh, the ministry of Jesus from a different perspective. He wants us to see it wasn't just Jesus walking around, him, around by himself here upon this earth, even though that's what he could have done, but his ministry involved other people. And Luke wanted to shine the light on some of these people, some of these people who are in the background, some of these people that aren't mentioned by name, some of these people who may not get even noticed to draw our attention to the fact that God can use all of us. So as I read these scriptures, these verses this morning, I want you to ask yourself the question, are you allowing God to use you? So we read the book, uh, in the book of Luke, chapter 8, we're going to begin with verse number 1. It said, Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had, been, who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Shazaz, Herod's household manager, and Susanna the, uh, and the others who provided 
for them out of their means. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful for all those things that you bless us with. Lord, we're grateful for your word. Lord, how it guides us. And Lord, we're grateful, Lord, that you have called us, Lord, the least of us, Lord, to not only follow you, but to also be your servants and do the work in your kingdom. Lord, you did not need to, to use us. Lord, you could just speak with your mouth, Lord, and accomplish the things that you would want accomplished. But Lord, you choose us to be your vessels. And so, Lord, this morning we ask ourselves, Lord, are we allowing you to use us? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. He talks a lot about in chapter 8, like he talked with us in chapter 6, talking about all the things that went into the ministry of, uh, of what Jesus was doing here upon this earth. And first he talks about how Jesus was going through all the towns and the villages, and he had just one objective in mind, is that he wanted to preach and that he wanted to proclaim the coming kingdom of God, that he was preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was talking about the need of repentance, and he was talking about the need of salvation. He was talking about how we could not trust in our own righteousness, but yet we needed forgiveness for our sins. And the scripture says that he was proclaiming this, that he was heralding this in the images, just like in the old times where the king would have these message, messengers. And when he wanted people to know something, he would give these messengers the message and they would go out and they would yell out the message and tell them what they wanted to hear. Things like, I don't know, the British are coming, the British are coming, things like that. But they were just people who were used as servants just to proclaim the messages that were sent by the king. And that's what Jesus was doing here upon this earth is that he was walking around and proclaiming the message that come down straight from the Father in heaven. And so that's what he was doing. And he wanted them to not under, to understand that it wasn't just Jesus doing it, but there was a whole crowd of people that was following him. It wasn't just Jesus walking aimlessly throughout the streets by himself, but there was a whole host of people that were making this ministry possible. And the first group of people that he draws our attention to are the twelve. Now, a lot of times we call these the disciples, but it's really kind of a misrepresentation to do that because we are all Christ's disciples. Everyone who confesses Jesus Christ are his Lord. But he chose out of that group 12 men, 12 men for a specific job that they would be the official witnesses. They would be the one that would follow Jesus. They would be the one who would get to sit and witness all the things that Jesus did here upon this earth. And it was a position that wasn't just distinguished to men, but men, uh, a distinguished group among men. And, uh, and they weren't chose because of their brightness. Obviously, we could see that because he chose people like fishermen, and he choose, chose people who weren't great intellectuals. He didn't chose necessarily the most spiritual or the most even-headed we see uh, the apostles like Peter, and we see all the rash things that he did and how it was hard for him to get things through his skull because even when you told him something over and over and over, he was just like a lot of these guys, just really not paying attention, huh? And so he said that these were people that Jesus chose to be his witnesses, to be a distinguished group of the 12, but he didn't choose them because of their abilities. He chose them because in his grace and in his sovereignty, that's who he wanted to choose. 
And so you see Jesus, and you see him running around and walking around, and then he has the 12 with him, and they're trying to learn, and they're trying to see what Jesus wants them to do and how they were going to carry on the work of building the church when he was gone. But what Luke wants to draw our attention specifically to this morning is what's found in these next two verses. And that is this group of women. And Luke goes through great lengths to show us that Jesus not only called men to be his disciples, but also called women. That he not only had men who followed him, but he also had women. That men weren't just the only ones making great contributions in the work and the ministry of Christ, but it was women too. It wasn't just uh, men that Jesus was seeking and doing things in their lives for us, but it was also women. And it's something that Luke really wants to point out. And you can notice this in several places because when he tells stories, he likes to talk about men, but he also likes to talk about women. And he almost does it in pairs. You think about even from the beginning of Luke, there was Elizabeth and then there was Zechariah. They were together and they were a part of the same story. Then there was Joseph and Mary, and they were a part of the same story. And then you think about how even in chapter 7, we talked about um, a centurion that Jesus had worked and done a healing for. But then right after that, there was a widow woman that Jesus did a work for. And you think about Jairus and him doing a healing in the work of Jairus' life. But as he's going to do that work in Jairus' life and to heal that servant of his, there was a woman with the issue of blood and they're there together. And if you think about what we talked about last week, there was the story. There was a Pharisee that Jesus was associating and that he was interacting with, but there was also that sinful woman. And so he wants us to draw our attention to the work that God was doing in and through women. And he wants to point out this group of women. And he talks about them several times. We'll see them again, not only here, but we'll also see them at the time of the resurrection, I mean, the time of the crucifixion. And we'll also see them at the time of the resurrection. And so he asked to see where, where these women come about. Who are these women? Well, listen to what he says about there. And then there were some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And so here was a group of women who fit the, who fit the description of what it meant to be a disciple. Here were people, here were these women that Jesus did a miraculous work in, did a healing work in them. And since Jesus did that work in their life, it made such an impression upon him, they decided, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. And that's what they did. And that was really what the natural response was going to be. That's what the response that Jesus was looking for in the people to which he did these works in. That once Jesus did a miraculous work in their life, once Jesus showed himself to these people, Jesus wanted them to again follow him. But some people didn't. Some people got their healing, and they just really went on about their business. Some of those people were just like me or just like you and me, that once God has answered our prayer, once God has lifted us out of that oppression, once we get that weight and that burden and that problem behind us, we all go on back 
to our normal lives, but not these women. We find these women that Jesus did a work in, but then they followed him. And so he wants to say that that's who these women were, or who these women are specifically. And he gives us the name of a few of them. First, he talks about Mary uh, Magdalene. And uh, Magdalene, it would be the town to which she, had, uh, that sh- which she was, was from. Now, there's a lot of Marys that we find in, in the Scripture. And it's kind of kind of hard to keep all these Mary stories together. And, um, but he wants us to know something specific about this woman. And what he tells us about this woman is that this woman, Jesus, cast seven demons out of her. And so what Jesus wants us to see and what Luke's trying to give us the point of is that God can use people who had troubled past. God can use people who had troubled past. We think about the seven demons, and you talk about the more demons that it really sort of emphasized the level of problems that she had in her life. And it doesn't really say what these uh, spirits or these evil things would do, do to her. Were they the ones that called her convulsed? Were they the ones that caused her a disability? Were those the type of demons that drove her mad? What was it that these demons were doing to her? We don't really know, but all we do know is that Jesus set her free and said, hey, Mary, it doesn't matter about your past, then I can still use you, and I want you to come follow me. So I want you to know this morning, maybe your past is a little bit checkered. Maybe you have some disabilities. Maybe you have some things that you're not proud of, and you're thinking, hey, God can't use me. But what Luke wants you to understand this morning is that's the type of people that God wants to use. Those people that he has set free from those things that Jesus wants us to then follow him and allow us to be used by him. So he used someone who had a troubled past. And then he also not only uses people who have maybe troubled past, but he can also use people who are in prominent positions, who are wealthy. Listen to this next person that he talks about. He talks about, um, uh, he talks about um, also in verse 3, of Joanna, the wife of Chazaz, Herod's household manager. This is someone who had everything set. She was the wife of a prominent household official of, uh, of Herod. And so she wasn't lacking for money. She wasn't lacking for position. She was in a state of comfort. She had things to do. She had obligations. She had her own household to run. But yet God said, hey, I want to use you. And Joanna did what's maybe the hardest thing for all of us. Leave our position of comfort to follow Jesus. Isn't that what's hard? Isn't that what's hard? You know, sometimes it's a lot of these people who get delivered from rough lives. It's really not a lot hard for them to follow Jesus because it seems that Jesus had done so much for us, for them. If you don't have much, it doesn't seem a lot of times to give that up to follow Jesus. You didn't have much to, uh, really didn't have nothing to begin with, so uh, really no bad deal to give that up. But when we're in a place of comfort and God's calling us and saying, hey, I want you to move away from that comfort 
and I want you to do something for me. You're like, well, I maybe, I, you know, I'm busy. I got things to do. But you see, Joanna was set free. And we don't know exactly what it was that she, what Jesus did in her life, whether it was a spirit that was cast out of her or whether it was an infirmity. But Jesus made such an impression on her. She did what the scripture says and that she left the comforts of her house, the comforts of maybe what her responsibilities were there, the comforts of being in the king's court to go follow Jesus. So she made a sacrifice. So God can use people, these women, troubled paths, and people in the upper echelons can use them too. But you know what? God can use the no-name people. So then it says there was Suzanne, and that's really all we know. And Suzanne, all we know really about her by inference is that she had, uh, she had a evil spirit and or an infirmity. And that's pretty much the extent of it. The other times we see her mentioned, she's mentioned maybe in a crowd into a group of people. Jesus can use and recognize the work of the unsung heroes. The people that may be known only by name and not really know exactly what it is that they do. Jesus saw their work and Jesus sees your work. And it doesn't matter if anybody else knows who you are or if anybody else sees it, God can use you. And so this next type of woman, well, there was Mary Magdalene, and we kind of know a little good bit of information about her. We're going to see her name mentioned in some other places. And uh, Joanna, we kind of know a little about, bit of, about her, don't know a whole, whole lot. But uh, then there's uh, Suzanne, Susanna. Well, we don't know anything really about her at all, but then it goes on to say, and many others, just this group of people who we don't know by name. We can't distinguish them by a name. If they walked in here, we probably wouldn't even recognize them. We wouldn't be able to give credit for what they've done, but they're not known by their name. They are recognized by their work. They are recognized by what they did. They are recognized by the effect of what their ministry was. So I want you to know this morning that God can use you. God has a place and he has a purpose for the men disciples and he has the plan and he has a purpose and he has a space for the women as well. God wants to use each and every one of us. Doesn't matter your past, doesn't matter your social economic situation, doesn't matter if anybody else knows or cares about you, God wants to use you. So that's who these women were. Well, what was it that they were doing? Well, he tells us briefly here in this last part of the verse it says, uh, and who provided for who provided for them out of their needs. You see there was quite an entourage that followed Jesus in his ministry. And there would be many times when, uh, when people would go 
ahead to another town to sort of scout things out and find places to stay. They would go out and get meals. And you can maybe think about the time to which the disciples were called to go into town to prepare a place for the Lord's Supper. And so there was a whole lot of kind of preparation. There was all kind of going back and forth that needed to be done. And it says that, that, that these women were a part of that. They took it upon themselves to provide the needs for them. That is Jesus and his disciples, and to listen to what it says, they provide it for them out of their own expense, out of their own means. In other words, they not only went from where they were in their life, from their comfortable or uncomfortable places where they were, and they got up, and they went and followed Jesus. And not only did they go and follow just to check and see what was going on, but they provided a means of ministry, a type of ministry that would probably go unrecognized, and that is providing for the physical needs of Jesus and his disciples, and they did it at their own expense. Isn't that what it means to be a disciple? Isn't that what Jesus has called us to do? That they took what they had and they used it for the kingdom of God. But too many of us, we're trying to hold on, right? We're trying to hold on to what we got. We're trying to hold on to our money. Some of us so cheap, we'd probably have to rent a crane to get you off your wallet, huh? Because we don't want to let go. We don't want to let go of our precious resources. We don't want to let go of our time. We don't want to let go of our money. We don't want to let go of our lives. We don't want to let go of our comfort. We just want to sit and have and enjoy. But the Lord wants to tell us, hey, all those things, who's going to have them when you're gone? All those treasures that you have where the thief comes in and steals and the moth comes in to corrupt. But Jesus says to us to store up treasures in heaven. He calls us to take of those things to which he has given to us and invest them in the kingdom of God. Are you allowing God to use the resources that he's given to you? Or are you holding on? This group of women, we see their main function of ministry. And they followed Jesus all throughout his ministry. And we see this group as well as other women in other places. We hear it later in a couple of chapters. The story we all know about Mary and Martha. Probably not the same Mary as, as listed here. Because uh, going and asking for a woman uh, named Mary... Uh, back in these times was like going into McGee and asking to speak to Bubba. You know, you're going to probably have about 20 of them. And, and so what he wants us to say is, is that, that Mary and Martha, and uh, they, they were there in the house and Jesus came in and, and Mary was sitting there at the disciples' feet and, and Martha was trying to be a good host and she's running and she's trying to get the chicken ready and she's trying to get the casserole ready and, and she's there doing it by herself. And um, and she's kind of getting upset and said, Jesus, why don't you tell Mary to, to, to get up and, and, and come help me with the casserole? Jesus said to Martha, 
You worry about so many things. But Mary has chose the greater. Jesus knew, I mean, Mary knew that even as a woman, the best place to be was learning at the feet of Jesus. And so we find the women at the feet of Jesus, just like the men who were sitting there at the feet of Jesus, learning what it was that he has to talk. But we see this work, uh, this group of women, as they come into the city of Jerusalem. They were a part of that caravan that walked Jesus as he come for that Passion Week. And then we see him as he's being crucified when all the other disciples had scattered while everybody was so scared. There was Mary Magdalene. There was the other Mary. There was uh, Joanna. There was some of all these other group of women who were following Jesus around. They were still there and they were looking on. They hadn't given up. And then we see them again at the resurrection. This group of women, they were the first to whom Jesus appeared to at the resurrection. And they were the ones, and she was the one that was given the message. Hey, take this back to the, the disciples that I have been risen. They were true followers of Jesus. But then we see them again in the upper room as the, as the 12 apostles as well as the other disciples, both men and this group of women, gather together to sort out what we do now that Jesus is risen and the Holy Spirit is coming. And the first order of business as Peter stood up was to replace Judas. And so they all prayed and they come to one accord of who was to be selected. And the apostles were there and so is this group of women. God in his, uh, in his infinite wisdom has created an order. And he has created certain positions in certain places to which he'll have men to serve. We think about our pastors and we think about our elders. And the Lord in his infinite wisdom has uh, sanctioned that not just to uh, all men, but to a restricted group of men. And it's not because of any greatness or any superiority or any sort of aptitude. It's just the way the Lord wanted it. But he has so much for even those who do not have those positions and even so much more for both men and women to serve as disciples. Let us all think in our hearts, in our lives, about how God wants to use each and every one of us. Even if you've got a bad past, even if you're no name, or even if you're of the higher-ups, God can use you wherever you are. If you're willing to take what God has given you and use it for his kingdom, and the most important thing as his disciples that we have to do is be willing to follow him wherever he leads us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for meeting us in our infirmities, in our lostness, in our trouble, in our heartache. Lord, it's saving us. But Lord, I pray, Lord, that you have made 
such an impression in our hearts and our lives that because of what you've done for us, we devote ourselves to follow you daily. Lord, let us search our heart this morning to see if we're searching, to see if we're following you, or are we just making excuses? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and sing a hymn. 175, 200.